Alright guys, welcome back. I think it's episode 8 now. We've, yeah. ma- we've made it far. I am very excited for this week's episode of Safari Stories because... Two, two reasons. <laughs> Reason number one is Hadley and I are going camping today, which means it's the first day that we are going to sleep in a different bed than the one we've been sleeping in for the last, like, four months yeah, of lockdown. Yeah, which is unusual for us to be in one place for four months. That does not normally happen. <laughs> so I'm excited about that. Reason uh, one, part two, is that <laughs> we're camping in a spot where we saw peregrine falcons last week. Side note, which is the fastest animal in the world. Exactly. Super cool. Exactly. And then reason two, I'm excited because, it, well, reason one leads me on to my, uh, <laughs> why I'm so excited about the podcast. It's about birds. So this week's episode, finally, 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 I get to talk about birds. And Hadley also gets to talk about birds. But I, main- haven't, I haven't let him do this podcast for a while. But mainly I get to talk about so birds. So I'm just going to put a little disclaimer. If you think that not like birds are not for everyone, you're wrong. Okay, and we're gonna show you or tell you why. Um, I used to think so. I used to think birds were pretty boring. When I started guiding or doing my guiding training in South Africa, I was not a fan of birds. And slowly but surely, Jomi- Bless your innocence. Jomi converted me. Um, (laughs) And we're gonna tell you a little bit about why, why it's so fun to get into birds and how you can get into birds at home during lockdown, like why this is such a great time. Would you wanna start with sounds? Yeah, for sure. I think I'll just preface the sounds part as well by saying, you know, when you're on safari and when you're spending a lot of time in the bush, mammals are amazing and great. And mammals are definitely what most people come to the bush Mm. to see and come to Africa to see. I just think that the variety of species that you get within birds, if you're on safari, you might see sort of 20 or 30 mammal species throughout your safari. Mm. But you might see upwards of 100 or upwards of 200 bird species yeah. depending on the area that you're in for sure and you really learn over time to understand and appreciate that every bird species kind of fills a certain niche in the ecosystem and birds are synonymous with certain habitats with certain plants i mean there's a bird for example called an arnos chat which you only get in one type of forest one species of forest that it occurs in Uh, And it has a very close symbiotic relationship with that forest. And that's what I like about it so much, because if you start paying attention to what birds are around you, you start to learn so much more about the bush itself and about the habitat that you're in. Absolutely. And I think that that's, you know, kind of testament to that is that when we go on birding trips, because that's something that we do now. Always. um, Constantly. (laughs) I spend all my money on it. (laughs) When we go on birding trips, you actually, or we have found, we actually end up seeing more because you're just you're going slower through the bush you're listening so intently and we've talked about that before how when we were doing a birding course we ended up seeing incredible mammal sightings because you're just going slowly and, and paying more attention to the small things but for me what i find uh or what makes birding so fun for me when i'm when we're on safari is for the kind of type a's right ticking off a box can be super satisfying and super fun and that's what one of the things that I really like is that you'll go to an area and you'll get a checklist of birds that occur there. And over your, you know, three, four, five, six, seven day safari, you can tick bird by bird your way down this list. Yeah, or as the, and is it the, becomes a game. Or as is the case with uh, with our lives over the course of a sort of three, four, five, six, seven year safari, yeah. we start ticking off the 
the like birds that occur in yeah. in the areas that yeah. we go to. But it becomes a challenge, and that's like a fun part of your safari experience. Yeah. Anyway, let's go. Let's move on to the main part of the podcast. So I think we're going to talk first and share some of our favorite bird sounds, and then share one or two of our favorite like cool shit that birds do. Yeah. Um. <laughs> because there's a lot. Of the sounds cool are great, but you might think, oh, you know what, guys, that's really not that great. I hope you don't, but I'm, anyway, the, uh, <laughs> when we tell you some of the interesting things that these birds do, uh, you might be really surprised and you might start, start paying closer attention yeah, to the birds that just... are in your neighborhood. Uh, right. Okay. So starting off with one of my absolute favorite bird calls of all time, the Western banded snake eagle. Snake eagles are one of the kind of subspecies of eagles. They're not true eagles, but they are a type of eagle that feeds predominantly on reptiles and snakes. Do you want to just clarify what a true eagle is? Because people might not know that. Um, yeah, true eagles uh, are the Aquila family, and they are eagles that would have feathers going the whole way down their legs. That's kind of the most, yeah. we'll the post, easiest way yeah. to identify we'll, we'll a true eagle. We'll post a photo to just show you the difference. But And they're amongst the largest of the, the raptor species. Them and the vultures yeah. would be the largest uh, raptors. Cool. Uh, Snake eagles often feed on snakes while they're on the wing, so while they're flying, uh, which I think is really insane. If it's you so see, cool to yeah, see. If you see an eagle that's flying and it looks like there's a piece of rope dangling or even from it its leg, like a stick sometimes, or a even. stick, it's yeah, it's quite quite unique behavior. Because what are they doing then? Well, they're either just killing it while they're flying, or they're feeding on it. They yeah. just start swallowing it. <laughs> it's, it's quite an interesting thing to do while flying. I mean, it's tricky. I wonder if that's like a a tactic to prevent other animals from stealing the kill. Absolutely yeah. it is, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like a leopard taking its kill up into a tree, the eagle just flies off with its food. Uh, yeah, I think it's also a lot easier for a snake to resist when it's got like ground or a surface mm. that it can kind yeah. of wriggle on, yeah. uh, whereas in the air it doesn't have that. Uh, anyway, here is the sound. Yeah, so quite a <laughs> quite a unique call. Hadley's laughing um, we just because I'm so I'm so happy with that bird call. I just love it. Um, Had, what about you? Show me and share with me some of your well, one of your favorite okay, bird calls. Okay, so when I first started learning my bird calls on my guide training course, it was incredibly difficult for me because I'm not an auditory learner, and you have to just memorize these sounds and know which bird they go with. So I asked uh, one of my instructors, Masi, who is big time bird nerd um, for some of his like tricks for how to remember the calls. And he sat me down and we went through call by call of, of bird calls that sound like they're saying something. I would call it an auditory crutch. Yeah, yeah. So my favorite one that he taught me is uh, the call of the double banded sand grouse. And we'll play it for you now. Actually, I'll tell you what to me it sounds like. So when I hear it, it sounds like we play volleyball. Yeah, we play volleyball. Yeah, we play volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when do you hear it? Because it's it's kind of unique in that it only starts. Well, it's unique because they only really call very, very early in the morning mm. or very, very late in the evening. And uh, they're what's called a, a bird that's crepuscular. So their peak of activity would be during dusk and dawn. Yeah. And that's for me just a sound that's synonymous with the African bush during dusk and the African yeah, bu bush during dawn. Yeah, you're dawn. having your sundown or maybe. Exactly. Um, okay, so here is the call.
Again. Yeah, you've. Uh, <laughs> I think you've hit the the nail on the head there. How it is, or or Mussy has, or I don't. Yeah, yeah. It's, we play volleyball. And yeah, I don't know how they would with wings. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, okay. What's your What's another one you like? Oh, okay. So this one, I think I would consider it one of my favorites because the family of birds that it belong or that it, this bird is part of is just one of my favorite families overall. Mm -hmm. It's also a sound that you would hear more kind of at night um, or really which, in the really or in the really early morning. And uh, it just brings me to places where th these birds, they get quite used to, to people in, I'll tell you now, <laughs> they get very used to people in a certain area and then they actually come close and investigate. Uh, and it's called a wood owl. Oh, and, and they're so pretty. They're monogamous birds, just as 90% of all bird species are. That's an, that's an interesting fact, by the way. Far more than humans, I'd say. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, actually. You're probably there's yeah, 90% of the 10,000 or so bird species that occur on planet Earth are monogamous, meaning that they mate for life. Uh, at least that's their general breeding behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the wood owl comes in uh, as a couple, as a pair, as an item. And... Uh, <laughs> This is their call. Um, but no, yeah. I, I just I love the I love the call because in campsites, if you're like making a bra or something, they these birds often come mm. and just check you out. They're extremely beautiful, and the call just reminds me of that sort of semi-tropical sub-saharan african savanna it's also cool riverine yeah. habitat but it's also cool because it's like a call and answer yeah yeah you know so it's one owl makes that for the first part of that call and then another owl answers with the second part um which is also it's just really cool if you if both owls are there and you can kind of listen to them and figure out where they are and yeah yeah okay um well I think you want you have two more. I have two more. All right. I'll, I'll do them quick. Okay, so next one um, is a dark cap bulbul. This was again another one that uh, another call that Masi taught me a trick for, and the dark cap bulbuls go sweet, sweet, yeah, sweet potatoes, <laughs> sweet, sweet, yeah, sweet potatoes. <laughs> okay, we'll play you call, the call now. I think my, this is funny though because my verbal crutch for mm. dark cap bulbul is. Wake up, Gregory. Yeah, let's see. Sweet, Mine, sweet mine's better. No, mine's <laughs> Here. better. Here. Okay. So. Yeah. Sweet, sweet, yeah, sweet potatoes. I think they both work, <laughs> but I like the sweet potato yeah, one. That's me cool. Too. Yeah. And then um, one other th one that I think you actually taught also, me. Also, just sorry, on that, the dark cap bulbul, which uh, we played the call of now, is arguably one of the most common birds mm. you find in southern it's Africa. Everywhere. It's uh, one of the only birds where in the bird book, when it says how frequently you would come across them, it says abundant. So everywhere it might say common or locally common or rare or uncommon. For this one, it says abundant. Yeah, they fun, are everywhere. Fun slash not so fun fact. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thrilling to hear. Um, okay, so the last one I think is a call that you actually taught me. Um, it's called a hemerkop bird. So oh. that's the bird, um, which mean kop means head yeah. in Afrikaans. Um, so it's like a hammerhead bird. 
And that's because it has a hammer-shaped head. Yep. <laughs> Who would have thought, you know? Um, so the call sounds like, well, I think it sounds like uh, a family of monkeys arguing. You think it sounds like... No, I think it's like a cross between... It's like chimpanzees arguing in a helicopter. Yeah. I think it sounds like a family of chimpanzees arguing. So we'll play you that now. family of chimpanzees that's arguing and one of them is going like no 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 (laughs) (laughs) so that's always one of my favorites you don't hear it very often um but when you do it always makes me laugh yeah i love yeah great um yeah those are well some of our favorite calls Mm. i think we could probably just go on with that list for ages i've got so many more that i can think of now that we started on but uh let's just talk about one or two of the interesting things or one of the two of the behaviors that make birds that we know and have come across really interesting so that's what i think a lot of people don't realize is that if birds aren't just like a cool thing to see and to check off the list they actually do a lot of really really cool stuff um and that's what's made me kind of fall in love with them and and birding and learning about their kind of stories it makes them i don't know it makes them feel more personal yeah off you go okay i'll start with (laughs) two species that are kind of well two species that aren't necessarily synonymous just with Africa but with the world and uh, one is probably one of the most famous birds it's called an albatross and this one specifically mm. is the wandering albatross it's the bird that has the largest wingspan of any bird which is uh, up up to three and a half meters so that's that? yeah almost like 11, I'd say feet? Uh, what is it yeah probably close to 12 feet like yeah. 11 feet um, yeah. so that's insane I mean completely insane but it's a bird that uh, after they breed in the southern like Antarctic islands uh, so islands like Marion Island and the Falklands and South Georgia those those areas that's where wandering albatrosses breed when the chick learns how to fly it becomes independent of its of its parents and then it will spend this first sort of four years of its life just at sea which never touching land it doesn't touch land they do land on the water to feed on fish uh, they look for bait balls where they feed on fish uh, but they won't touch land again for about four years oh so i think God. that's incredible it's yeah so cool um, it's wild to think the second one is another bird that ha- does something that's ridiculous really it's called an arctic tern and the tern is f- to people who don't know what it is we'll post a photo of one but uh, it is like a small seagull it's like an elegant seagull it looks like a small elegant more slight seagull and um another fun fact sorry i'm getting sidetracked now but there is no (laughs) such thing as a seagull by the way seagull is not a species of bird there are gulls but there are no there's no such thing as a seagull so it's either like a herring gull or a sabine's gull or lesser black-backed gull or something like that but there's no such thing as a seagull um, anyway, the Arctic tern is the bird that probably has the furthest migratory route. So migration is, it can be its own podcast entirely, but birds migrate for breeding reasons, for feeding reasons, and for 
mating. Mate, yeah, mate. Oh, well, mating is, mating is breeding, and just for fun uh, and for cli- <laughs> sorry, climate is what I wanted to say. They they breed because climate changes changes through mm-hmm. the seasons. The Arctic tern will migrate once a year from the North Pole or the North Polar regions to the Southern Polar regions. So that can by itself be at least 15,000 kilometers. And then in the same year, it will migrate back. So it might have a circular migration of about 30,000 kilometers. That's upwards of 20,000 miles a year. And they can live longer than 30 years, which means that in one Arctic turns life, and they start doing this from the age of one. So within their Mm. first year, they start migrating it might migrate as much as half a million kilometers. Oh yeah. They can't even run two kilometers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different story <laughs> entirely. Uh, okay, those are two. Those are just two of my kind of yeah. seabird uh, yeah. stories that are interesting. It just made me think of the, the mi- uh, yeah, the migrating birds could be a totally separate one. Yeah. Um, what's the ones that, what are the, I think they're kites. That arrive, I think, from Russia or falcons. Amur falcons. Amur falcons. Yeah. And they where from, do like, they northeast arrive? Like northeast India. Sorry. Just will you tell that story of like where they arrive and what they do? Well, they they, it's a bird that a lot of birds migrate together as kind of a flock, and Amur falcons wouldn't necessarily all fly together, but they would definitely congregate in an area, and uh, they congregate in sort of northeastern India, uh, where they feed on elates so winged termites they increase their body weight by almost a hundred percent so that they can undergo the journey and then they fly and it's the longest if i'm not mistaken it's the longest migration that's over sea so Mm. they fly from the tip of southern india all the way across to madagascar or sometimes they fly via the horn of africa in somalia and then down down sort of the coast to southern africa um yeah that's an interesting how long does that take roughly yeah, I'd say they take between four and six weeks to do that. Yeah, that's yeah. Nuts. yeah, the Arctic Turn, by the way, which has that really long migration, it probably takes two months or so to mm. undergo that journey. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, okay, so two of my favorite birds. Um, I guess they all, all of their, what they all have in common is um, they, how they take care of their young. Okay. Just think it's really interesting. So the first is the family of hornbills. So specifically, um, southern yellow-billed hornbill and red-billed hornbill. Mm-hmm. Um, they do this really cool thing that we've actually seen them doing. So the male and the female will search for a natural cavity in a tree. So like the hollow inside of a tree. And when they find one that they like, the female, well, the male will collect feather, um, not feathers, leaves and things to line the inside of the cavity with. Then the female goes into the, this hole and she will build this, um, how would you describe it? Like a, a wall basically. And she actually uses her droppings to build this. And, like, mo- and mud, mud and dirt that the male also brings. Yeah. And they, she basically seals herself into this, yeah, she barric- this hole. She barricades yeah. herself in yeah. so and that she, her eggs are safe. Yeah, and she just leaves a small slit open um, and then she'll lay her eggs in there and they'll, her and the chicks will remain in there for normally another like 10 to 20 days after they hatch. And they are fully reliant, their survival is fully reliant on the male gathering food and bringing it to them. So if something happens to the male, the female and the chicks would die. I've heard that if something happens to the male, the female will start calling and another male might mm. take over. Yeah. Which I think would be quite rare. 
but I think it, it yeah. can happen and it has probably happened. I, yeah. I don't know specifically when and where, but I've read that in a book yeah. somewhere, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I just think that's really cool that the, the male has such a responsibility for the survival of his own chicks. And, and Wait, you female... mentioned the molting of the feathers of the female? No. So the female will also molt her feathers to add extra insulation mm. for the eggs in that cavity. So the female is essentially completely naked in the... The mother is completely naked in that birds cavity. Birds are such good parents. They're Abs so nice and giving. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they, they certainly are. So that I think is really interesting. Um, then another one is the Namaqua sand grouse. So this is a bird that mm. we saw a lot in Namibia. Um, we mentioned live... the, sorry, the sand grouse we mentioned earlier, we played mm -hmm. the call of the double-banded oh, yeah. sand grouse. Same family. You might be familiar with the term grouse, but it just kind of looks like a, a colorful pigeon. Yeah. Yeah. Smaller. Yeah. Smaller. Um, and we shared a little bit about them on Father's Day. Um, but what's so interesting about them is that they live in some of the driest um, environments in Africa. And so, of course, they're very reliant on water. And the females will make a nest, which is literally just scraping, like uh, clawing on the ground, and then she'll lay her egg there. But she will remain on the egg, not so, when she's incubating it, not so much to keep it warm, but actually to keep it shaded so that it doesn't overheat. And she can't leave that egg uh, exposed to the sun. And so she can't go for water. So mm. what the male does is he'll fly, and they've been recorded flying up to 20 kilometers to get to water. He'll fly to a In the shallow, desert, they probably have to. Yeah, and he has to find like a specific type of uh, water source. It needs to have like a shallow entry. So he'll find a, a shallow water pool. He'll drink for himself and then he'll wade in and he can stay there for up to like 20 minutes. And what he's, he's doing is he's, he has these um, specially designed feathers on his chest that have a like curly haired end to the feather. And what that does is it actually absorbs water and stores it on inside like in his lower feathers hmm. and so he sits there and literally is like a sponge just soaking up water and he can soak up up to two tablespoons of water which is pretty incredible for not that big of a bird Ugh. and then once his feathers are totally uh, full of water he'll then fly back to his female give her the she'll like um i don't know kind of suckle the water uh, out no, of his chest feathers no, and then the, and the youngsters do that yeah, as well yeah, yeah as well and yeah. then the youngsters who probably can't fly <laughs> uh, definitely can't fly that distance no no they then will also drink that water and their survival is reliant on that as you can imagine yeah no for sure really interesting um and then another one that's cool and i'll let you talk about this um is or are lapwings oh yeah yeah and lapwings the, are the um like distraction display yeah, so, so lapwings are uh, kind of the part of the plover family. So it's a bird that has fairly long legs that's usually found in an area where there's quite a lot of water. They also nest, just like the sand grouse, they nest on the ground. And if they realize that there is a threat coming close to the nest, they have this um, distraction display mm. where the male or the female, I think it's usually the male, but I, uh, the male will actually pretend like, and I saw this recently, mm. Well, not recently, but I saw it's this so cool. in, within the last year where the male or the female will pretend like their wing is broken. Just drop one of the wings and let it hang loose and limp on the ground. And then even not limp, but like walk yeah. slowly away from the nest to make a predator like a jackal or something. like a jackal or whatever. Yeah. Think that it's going to be very easy to catch this bird. 
the jackal will get completely distracted from what it was looking at first and then go after this uh, what he thinks will be an easy uh, kill or catch uh, and just before he makes the final kill or the before he catches the lapwing it will fly off just mm-hmm. like nothing's happened I, and it's it's simply to to protect its nest and to draw any dangers away by sacrificing its own safety which yeah. is so so cool and so interesting that they've evolved to yeah exactly think to do that i just think that's so cool yeah i think hadley and i don't always like using the words clever well i don't necessarily always like using the words this animal is particularly clever oh it's so smart it's evolved to yeah. do this yeah uh, and, and just think of how long that that process takes right yeah i mean it's just mind-blowing yeah how long it would take to perfect it yeah okay i've got i've got some birds that i want to talk about yeah um okay two that come to mind and two that people can probably visualize one is called a black heron it's a very very small species of heron herons are water birds as i'm sure pretty much everyone mm-hmm. who's listening knows uh, the the black heron has a very interesting way of fishing because when it is standing in shallow water what it will do is it will form its wings in an umbrella and hold them above its head and this umbrella that it makes with its wings will cast a shadow below it and fish generally speaking especially when you know they're baking in the african sun mm. or in the heat of the african sun they will they will flock to where there's shade because there's not much shade and fish will do that quickly so they will go to underneath where this umbrella is cast or where this shadow has been cast uh, and then it's very easy pickings for the for the black heron because yeah. it can just use its long neck and strike out <laughs> and uh, skewer these birds. Yeah. So I, I love that. Skewer? Another, no, I'm not going to talk about that one, but I will talk, well, actually, maybe <laughs> no, I will. This is another heron species called a striated or a green-backed heron. And the green-backed heron has actually learned or evolved, evolved. sorry, evolved <laughs> to use bait so they can skewer something with their beaks a small prey item like an insect or like frog a, yeah even small frogs or tadpoles or something like that and it will then crane its neck out and dangle on its beak this bait close to the water for a fish to come mm-hmm. and get it and try and catch it and then it will get the bigger prey item which is the fish i, I just think that's remarkable that's cra- yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy that they've evolved like we talk about chimpanzees and bonobos yeah, using, using, tools. using tools. I mean, that's using fish tools. Fish have been using tools. Uh, fish. Birds have been using tools for ages. Yeah, crazy. Another one, and this is again just a kind of a product of, of evolution, but there's there's quite a large family called the woodpecker family, and everyone mm. knows what a woodpecker is, but woodpeckers move up and down tree trunks, and they use their very strong and stout bills to peck into the bark, and then they use tongues to extract insects from below the bark that they've chipped away at. Yeah. Now, you can imagine that if a bird... Like, it's the equivalent of me banging my head against the wall for the entire... For my entire All life. Day. For my whole life. Um, there's sometimes when I feel like that, but... No, no. There, it has to have quite a uniquely protected skull in yeah. order to do that. And the tongue of the woodpecker is very long so that it can go out of the beak. But when the tongue is retracted back into its mouth and into its skull, it is actually the cushioning between the brain and between the skull. Mm. So that acts as a sort of a 
a concussion stopper, if yeah. that makes it's sense. Yeah, it's like the padding in a helmet. It's like the padding in a helmet, exactly. But doesn't it, I thought the tongue, doesn't it kind of wrap around? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it wraps, wraps around, around the, brain. the brain. Exactly, it wraps completely around the brain. So, so cool. Yeah. I hope you guys find these things as interesting as we do. Yeah. <laughs> I but think you know, it's, 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 it is. And for me, right, hearing these stories and learning these stories, um, it made me so excited to see those specific birds. And it's not, it's not just a bird then. You're like, oh, wow, that's the bird whose tongue wraps around its whole brain. Um, or that's the bird that, you know, hides itself in a tree and sheds all its feathers so it can keep its, its eggs warm. You know, that's Definitely. so cool. And then you learn that there is, within the woodpecker family in Southern Africa, the bearded woodpecker, which doesn't just do it as a means of feeding, but actually has started tapping as a territorial display. So yeah. it will do this very, very loud tap, and usually on dead trees because they echo, because they're hollow, uh, to attract a mate. Yeah. Uh, it's just remarkable. And there's woodpeckers in New England. So that's that's what's cool as well, is that a lot of these birds ha are in the same family as birds that you get in the States, like herons and, and eagles and things like that. Um, the peregrine falcon, for example, I only just learned also you find in Massachusetts, which is really cool. Yep. Um, yeah. All, so we'll, all we'll over put, North America. Yeah, really. we'll put some resources on the website as well, and we'll put them on our Instagram, on Trunks and Tracks and all that, um, just yeah. to show you how you can kind of get started birding at home if you're interested. A great thing is to get a, like, most common garden birds of your area, um, and then, you yeah. know, put a, put a bird feeder out or put a bird bath out. You'll be shocked how quickly the birds find it and then how much more bird life you're seeing it'll take i think in my experience it'll take a day or two yeah. while they kind of understand oh what is this oh this is that this is a bird feed this is good this is positive <laughs> and they get very relaxed very quickly yeah. and it provides excellent photographic opportunities you can identify birds that you've probably never seen or heard of uh, i think there are extremely good resources for everywhere in europe for everywhere in the states mm. for everywhere in africa when it comes to uh, identifying birds and it's like apps as well it's not just books i mean there's apps now that have the calls that have all everything about the breeding and nesting behavior absolutely i mean and, yeah cornell ornithology lab has developed this app where you literally go in and you select the date where you saw the birds so you'd say like today your zip code and the colors of the birds you'd say like it was mainly black and white it'll ask where did you see it you'd say like in a tree in grass on the water and it will give you like the 10 most likely birds that it was mm. and it is like the absolute easiest way to identify birds if you're just starting to bird um, and it's a great resource it's just a free app on your phone and and i'll finish with this you can contribute to science so <laughs> sorry. always so fun <laughs> yeah well if you there are lots of different ways of doing this but bird atlasing is where you record mm. the birds that occur within a spe specified area over a specified period of time and you will submit what you have seen and what you've recorded and you'll only submit what you're sure you've seen and have identified uh, and that will help establish whether a bird is you know, becoming more abundant mm -hmm. or whether a bird is becoming more endangered yeah. or threatened. And that helps. It'll help conservationists understand that this bird needs help and yeah. it's worth protecting. And I think we yeah. can all agree that, uh, you know, we are realizing that species are important and biodiversity is important. Mm. And that's, yeah, I'll finish on that because I yeah. can talk about that for, for, yeah. a, for a lot longer, yeah. even if I can't phrase it very well. If you would be interested in another bird podcast, let us know. <laughs> if you definitely would not, 
Also, let us know. <laughs> I'm going to create like three Instagram accounts and send DMs to Trunks and Tracks and be like, hey, this is. Uh, this Love is the bird party. Inspector Doofus, who would. <laughs> no, this is. Uh, I, I, yeah. More birding, please. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. always. Jomi would like to do more, but let us know if you would be interested. Yeah. All right, guys, we will. See, see you next, next week. week. Wish us luck with our camping. I can see it's getting I a little know, bit overcast. The clouds are coming. But anyway, it'll be it'll be great. Let's yeah. hope we see peregrines again. Yeah. Bye.